verse I want to leave with you this morning, I think challenges us as to our spiritual growth. Are we growing in our Christian lives? Do you have 20 or 30 years experience with God? Or do you have 20 or 30 years experience that it's, it's that old? In other words, we haven't continued to grow. You know, the most important thing in life is that we know our sins forgiven, that we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, but then we need to grow. The wise man in our reading in Proverbs 2 gives us a key to Christian growth, and uh, not just the initial growth, but the ongoing continual growth. We sometimes talk about lifetime learning. Uh, And that's what we have in Scripture, the lifetime, not just learning, but knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and he who sent him. And so I want to direct your thoughts to verse 5, where it says there, Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. In the book of Proverbs, sometimes seems a little bit kind of mixed up to us when we initially read it. But there are some amazing gems, and I think that's one of them. When you really look at what that verse says, do we want to understand the fear of the Lord? It's it's not an option, is it? The Lord says, no, it's something we must understand. We'll see that in a moment. To understand the fear of the Lord, and then to find the knowledge of God. is really quite an amazing statement. He's really writing of two things there then. The understanding of the fear of the Lord, and finding the knowledge of God. Now you might say, well, I know what the fear of the Lord is and we've got the Bible that gives us a knowledge of God, but it's far more than that. And uh, I want us to, uh, to see from this verse that it is in fact a part of the foundation of our Christian living. In other words, these are the sorts of things that form the basis of our understanding and our attitude to other things. So when we understand verses like this, we will be more able to cope with our stressful situations. We'll be able to cope with our joys and our sorrows. And also, I think it helps us when we look out at the world around us, if we have this sort of thing as a foundation, we begin to understand and see things as the Lord would see them through his word. Three points for this morning. Two are very short and one's the the middle one is the one I really want to talk about. First of all, I want us to think for a moment, why are these things important? And why does the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God often go hand in hand in Scripture? I suppose put simply, knowing God is the overall pursuit of the child of God. Now one of those of us are Christians, whether we ever think of that, that my My aim in life is to pursue God. Everything else kind of tails on with that and and hangs on to that. I must pursue him. And at the beginning of that pursuit is a knowledge of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. So if we get that right, that's why these two things come together. If we have a right fear of God, a biblical fear of God, then we will gain a knowledge of God and we'll be, as it were, on our way pursuing him. These two concepts travel together. 
Now, we shall see in a moment the fear of the Lord is not a light matter. And uh, it is not of secondary importance. And among other things, a low estimation of the fear of God and a low estimation of pursuing a knowledge of God, in fact, leads to the missing out of the goodness of God. And ultimately, it results in sin. And it's one of the large contributions to the rampant sin in the professing church today, that there is no fear. When we think of uh, large denominations, I don't need to name them, I can kind of name most of them, where they blatantly do things that are clearly contrary to God's word, they have no fear. If they, if they had a right fear of God, then we can't do that. So that's, uh, that's something we see around us. As to the importance of knowing God, Paul underlines the importance of knowing God and he cries out in Philippians 3 verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And you say to Paul, Paul you've been a Christian for a number of years, of course you know God. We've got your writings, we've got your testimony, you know God. You see, Paul knew there was more to know. Paul knew it was a lifetime experience. What he was saying there is that I really want to know him more and more. And I want to know the power of God. He particularly refers to the power of the resurrection in his life. And my friends, I take the view that if Paul, such a godly man, such a useful man, if he wanted to know more about God, how much more we should want to pursue him. And as I was penning this down, it was that point I recalled Tozer's biography, uh, which is in fact called The Pursuit of God. And I thought, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful way to have your life described. I don't think he described it like that. Someone else was writing the book. But they looked at Tozer and they thought, what should we call it? We'll call it In Pursuit of God. I thought of Enoch. He had this testimony, didn't he, that he pleased the Lord. And he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. See, these men, the godly men, they had a testimony. Please God. He was in pursuit of God. You could have put that on their gravestone. I wonder what they put on our gravestone. How would they describe your Christian life? It's wonderful to be a Christian. It's wonderful to be able to put on, on a gravestone a biblical text that, that infers that you're a Christian, going to be with the Lord, and it's going to be a great resurrection. That's a wonderful thing. But as Christians, what can we put on there? That he pleased the Lord? Perhaps it would be presumptuous. You know, in the foreword to Tozer's biography, it did make me get the book down and just start thumbing through some of the pages. But in the foreword to his biography, the writer asks, was Tozer the greatest preacher that you ever heard? And he answered it, no, he wasn't. He was a great preacher, but he wasn't the greatest preacher the writer had heard. But he said, Tozer redeemed the time and had an intimacy with God beyond any other man I met. And in one sense, the pursuing God, the intimacy that we have with God is more important than any ability to preach. Because if you're going to be a preacher, that will flow from that. We're not all called to be preachers. We are all called to pursue God. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself, in his prayer in John 17, says, This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And the word know there in, in the Greek, it means there to know by experience and effort. In other words, you know, sometimes we say at home, you mention something, and say, oh, I know that. That's not the word here. This is not, I just, I know that, it's just something I, I quickly am aware of. This is an ongoing experience and effort. Jesus Christ says, this is in life eternal, to go on and know me and to know my heavenly Father. So that's a short point. The fear of the Lord and the growing in a knowledge of him are vital to our Christian lives, supported throughout scripture and indeed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So secondly, and this is the main part of our message this morning, understanding the text says there, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. There's about 160 verses or so in scripture that refer to the fear of the Lord. And sadly, we quite often associate the fear of the Lord as something being negative. When in fact, when you look at the scripture, the Lord puts it out as something positive. It, it's a revelation he's told us about himself as he reveals about his love and his wrath and, and his mercy and, and his grace. So he reveals to us that there is a, a, a fear of the Lord. It's a revelation he wanted us to know. And certainly it is for his own glory. You know, some might understandably think, well, surely that's more Old Testament than New Testament. And we ought to perhaps major more on the love of God. Well, we have to major on both. But let's just stop for a moment. The God of the Old Testament, do we have a different God in the New Testament? No, he's the same God. Do we have a different God in eternity, past or future? No, we don't. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, is the God of today. And so whatever the scripture reveals to us about him is the same yesterday, today and forever. But then you say, haven't we got a verse in scripture that says, perfect love casteth out fear? And another says, we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption. Yet we are told elsewhere to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So you put all that into the mix and you think, well, what is the scripture saying there? The Lord brings these things together, uh, not just for our understanding, as it were, but that we might enjoy all that he has for us and that we might walk with the, um, the observation that God is there. The fear of the Lord does not negate God's love. No more than God's love negates his fear or the rightful majestic awe that we would have on him. The fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord are companions in God's grace. Indeed, if we know anything of the love of God, we will have a right view of the fear of the Lord. And I was amazed as I looked at some of these, I didn't look at all 160 verses, but as I looked at a number of these verses that refer to the fear of the Lord, what blessings there are there. I give you just one as an example. You, you can find lots more. Psalm 31 verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. There is goodness. There is blessing for those that have a, a right fear of God. It's as if God stores up his goodness and releases it to those that fear him. It's a storehouse of treasure. 
What words does the Holy Spirit use? And this is always important, isn't it, when we look at a particular subject. To, when you analyse a verse, you need to know what those words mean. And in the Old Testament, the most common Hebrew word for the fear of the Lord means to tremble, uh, to be full of awe. Uh, I guess that word's been devalued a lot in, in, in today's world. But in biblical terms, it means to be totally astonished. And, and it's, it's common sense when you think of who God is. When we turn to the New Testament, we're looking at the Greek. The word used mostly there is the word from which we derive the word phobia from. Another, again, it's a word that's been devalued uh, today. But it means, or its base meaning is... It means fearful, to be struck with that fear. So it's interesting to note that whatever we think about these issues, that's what God thinks. Those are the words that he used. You might say, well, I'm not sure that's how I view God. That's an understandable view. I think we all feel like that to to a certain extent. What I've been speaking about really is what you might call the simple fear of God. Or a word I've penned down here is the raw view of the fear of God. And that's how the scripture sets it out in many places. The Christian knows this fear as tempered with the love of God. It's tempered with his mercy. We're brought into a relationship with God in such a way that whilst we still still to be aware of the fear of the Lord, we may yet come to him and say, Abba Father, Abba Father. That's a wonderful thing. That God who reigns in glory, that we may approach him and say, Abba Father. His terror, his fear that we have has not changed, but his love is so poured into our hearts that we have this new relationship. You know, from reading the lives of many of our Christian forebears, it's generally can be seen that they had a greater fear of the Lord than we do. In fact, Christians were once known as God-fearing people. Could that be said of us? Could people look at us and say they're God-fearing? Well, people don't understand what that means outside, let alone inside. But it's an interesting concept, isn't it? That people were once known, Christians were God-fearing people. And it was a badge of honour. Not to the Christians so much, but badge of honour to the glory of God. That he was a God to be feared and to be respected and to be lived in in the sense of of the awe and authority and majesty of Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Humanity at large should, should have that simple fear of God. This is clearly what God says about himself to the inhabitants of the earth. And I expect if we were to be presented to a great dignitary, we would have a certain reservation, a certain, dare I say, fear as we approach, we know, what's he or she going to say to me? There'll be a measure of anxiety there. How much more when we live in the presence of Almighty God? Even because of his very existence, demands from us that fear. Because of his majesty, because of all his attributes, because of his holiness, his sovereign divinity, his transcendence, 
the amazing thought that God is here in this place by the power of his spirit and he's also in the furthest reach of the universe. I don't understand that. I'm not told to understand it. I'm told to believe it and to realize the greatness of this God. It does, it should cause us to tremble. His eternality. That God in one sense is still with us years ago. And yet he is with us in years to come. And he's here today. That with God, every moment, if you like, is now. I don't understand that either. His very essence of being God should cause us to, to acknowledge that we live in the presence of a great being. And God's creation is something that should cause humanity throughout the world to fear him. The Lord says so. God, the Holy Spirit, in Psalm 33, says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Why? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spake, and it was done. The fact that God spoke everything into being, God says himself, you should look at creation and fear the Lord. But then, of course, there's another reason why humanity at large should fear the Lord. Because of sin. Because of impending judgment. You know, Scripture points out very clearly that in so many cases, people should fear the Lord, and yet they continue in sin and do so because they do not have a fear of God. Paul writes to Romans chapter 3, verse 18, he speaks of those who have no fear in their eyes. No fear in their eyes. When you think of what I've just said about how great God is, and yet people just continue in their lives as God doesn't exist. There is no fear in their eyes. Their eyes have not been opened to, to, to acknowledge who God is. And, and sometimes people are so willful in their sin. There is no fear where there should be fear. And put simply, because of our sinful nature, and in Romans 1 it says, because they are willfully defiant of God. But what about the Lord's people? How should we fear the Lord? We come not only to learn of that fear, but of his love in Jesus Christ. Well, I don't think it's so much that we fear the Lord, but rather a right fear of the Lord should be a natural consequence of our salvation. Because we're Christians, because we've acknowledged who God is, and because we're going on learning who he is, we naturally have a, a biblical fear of the Lord. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Well, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? In other words, because we, we've been forgiven... Our sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to his cross and we, we, we bear it no more. He has carried our sin. Because of that, he says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. In other words, it is by God's grace that a Christian has a right fear of God. We sang in the hymn, and Newton had it right, amazing grace that taught my heart to fear. It is by God's grace that we come to acknowledge to have that right fear of God. But then he says, but grace my fears relieved. 
There is a difference here, isn't it? But that's it. It was the grace of God that taught him to fear God aright, but that grace relieved the fears that he had in respect to his soul, in respect to, to sin and judgment. We have a right fear of sin. We have a right fear of judgment. But when we have a right fear of the Lord, then that aspect of fear goes. We do not fear to meet God. We do not fear the grave. And that's the thought when John wrote about perfect love casting out fear. He obviously didn't mean cast out the fear of the Lord, otherwise you'd tear out the verses of Scripture. He speaks of removing our fears as to meeting the Lord, our fears in respect of judgment, death, and the grave. Psalmist says, He sought the Lord and He delivered me from all my fears. In other words, He delivered Him from all those things that were fearful to Him. David maintained a right fear of the Lord. Spurgeon said, None fear the Lord like those who have experienced His forgiving love. And it was uh, John Murray, the fear of God is the soul or heart of godliness. This is what drives us to godliness. This is what drives us on in holiness. And the fear of God to the Christian is that which produces adoration. It produces love. It consists of awe, reverence, honour and joy as we reflect on all that the Lord has done. It's a reflection of our awareness of his transcendence, of his deity, of his uniqueness. One that says, the more we understand and appreciate God's transcendence, the more we'll have a right fear of the Lord. Let me give you an illustration. You might have a, uh, take an example of a servant who lives in certain fear of his master for many reasons. That's a servile fear. But the son lives in respect of the same man who is his father, which is a filial fear, which embraces love and respect and a willingness to, to serve and to love his father. And if we miss this, we can ignorantly fall into the servile fear. And there are those who talk about God as, as a great ogre to be feared, and, and, and that is it. That's not what the Bible tells us. We have to have that right fear of the Lord. You know, Moses uh, provides us with a useful example of the difference between being afraid of God and having a right fear of him. In Exodus 20, verse 20, we read, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Let me read that again carefully. Listen to the words. He says to the people, fear not, don't be afraid. For God's come to make you afraid. It's almost contradictory, but we have to read it carefully. Fear not. Don't be afraid of the fact that God is there as such. For God has come to prove you, to test you, that his fear may be before your faces. In other words, that we might have an adoration and realise this is God. And because they had that adoration, it would be a, a preventative to sin. And the right fear of the Lord is a great preventative of sin. So then for the Christian, simply being afraid of God will uh, lead us 
uh, to distrust and misunderstand God. A poor fear of God would lead to the lack of what God has got for us. But a right fear of God prevents us from sinning and brings us into much blessing. Notice too, the fear of the Lord is a command. It's never written in scripture, hey, this is a good idea, perhaps we could try fearing the Lord. Throughout scripture, it's a command that we are told to do that. Both sinners and uh, saved sinners and unsaved sinners, we're commanded to fear the Lord. Even in our mundane labours, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, Obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Our everyday labours, we remember God is there, he is observant to us. Our worship and our service are all to be done within the realm of the fear of the Lord. Serve the Lord with fear, says the psalmist. Rejoice with trembling. It's almost contradictory again. Rejoice when we realise what we're rejoicing in. The love and mercy of God. The forgiveness of God. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great hope we've got of resurrection and glory and all of that. Put all that mixed together as it were. We tremble at the greatness of God. And why should he pour this out upon sinners like us? Hebrews 12, let's serve the Lord acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We serve God with godly fear. Solomon sums it up in Ecclesiastes. He says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's wrap everything up, he's saying there, of of all that he'd written. Fear God. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You know, there's a great effect of the uh, knowledge of the fear of the Lord. As I look through these verses, there is hardly anything in our lives that is not touched by the fear of the Lord. It will impact our worship, our service, our day-to-day lives. Acts 9.31, thinking of the Christians in the New Testament, it says they walked in the fear of the Lord. It will impact on our holiness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let's cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Motivates our outreach. Knowing, therefore, the terror or the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And just a couple of verses down, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Again, he's bringing a right fear and the love of God together that we might do these things, as it were, in the right way. And it blesses us in fellowship. Malachi 4. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, And the Lord hearkened and heard it. There's a a, a key to answered prayer there. And and he took a book of remembrance that was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. Psalm 115. You that fear the Lord, trust in him. He is your help and shield. And then, it's an amazing thought. The Lord Jesus Christ feared the Lord. You say, well, how can that be? It doesn't make any sense. How could he fear himself? Well, Isaiah, listen to what he writes in chapter 11, verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, thinking of the coming Messiah, and the spirit of knowledge 
and the fear of the Lord. The Hebrew there is Jehovah. The fear of Jehovah. He also says that Messiah will be of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. So how is that and and how was that seen when Christ came? Well, these are speaking of his humanity. Christ was born of a woman made under the law. And as such, he had a right fear, a godly, a biblical fear of his heavenly father. When he speaks, we see the reverence and awe that is in the language there. Well, we've spent quite a bit of time. Let me give you the last point because our, our text has a second part, doesn't it? Then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So let's just, just very quickly just think of those words, finding the knowledge of God. Remember I said it's an ongoing thing. Paul says, oh, that I might know him. The Lord Jesus Christ says, this is eternity, to know him. Notice how verse starts with that word, then. Then shalt thou understand. So what's gone on before to teach us to get to the word then? Well, first of all, verse 1, it's receiving God's word. My son, if thou wilt receive my words. And that, that's a key, isn't it? We've, you know, we must read the Bible so often, but it's, it's not just reading, is it? It's understanding it, it's taking it in. It's spending time with God. Because he also says there in verse 2, so shalt thou incline thine ear to wisdom, apply thy heart to understanding. It's applying our, our mental uh, faculties to what we read in Scripture. Just reading a, a chapter a day is meaningless. We have to apply it to our hearts. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding... Again, I was reading recently, no, um, it was Mr. Tozer again in his biography, there was a quote by him there. Um, he, he said, if you, if you get stuck on a verse, you get stuck with an issue, he says, people often go to look at the commentaries, etc. He says, and they're all, you know, they can be good, but go to the Lord first. And what he was saying there was that perhaps 15, 20 minutes in prayer will get you the answer, whereas looking at 10 books, you'll still be lost and have 10 different answers. And this is what it's saying here. Lift up your voice for understanding. In other words, we, we come to the Lord, Lord, we want to know thee more. We've read these verses. Lord, help me to understand it. Help me to take it into my soul that it may be seen in my life. So when he says then, how do we find these things? How do we find the knowledge of God? It's by receiving God's word. It's by spending time with him. It's by using God-given faculties to understand his word. And then it's to search diligently. If thou, verse 4, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hidden treasure. Do we search for hidden treasure? I don't say this to make you smile, but it might do, I don't know. I've got some gold in my garden. Not a lot. But some gold hidden in my garden. Only one person knows where it is apart from me, and I expect they've forgotten. But I can guarantee when the Lord calls me home, someone will be out there with a metal detector. And they'll be searching for that as searching for treasure. That's how we come to the Bible. If thou seekest her as silver, and search for her as hidden treasure... Again, we have to dig into Scripture. We have to 
dig into heaven, if you like, to get a, a full answer and satisfaction of these things as we pursue the Lord. It is sought with due diligence, a spirit of anticipation. If, when I'm called home, someone goes out there with a, with a, um, a metal detector, they're looking for something because they know there's something there. And so when we come to Scripture, we know there's something there. We know that if we pursue God, there is blessing. We should do that with a spirit of anticipation. So then, what have we got? We've looked at the, why these two things are important. Secondly, we've spent quite a bit of time on thinking about what is the fear of the Lord. And then I've just brought you kind of to a close there with a knowledge of God and, and how we can attain that. A little bit of application then. And we need to give this matter due biblical consideration, don't we? If we don't develop our understanding on these things, then we won't know many things that God has in store for us. Psalmist says he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. We have a desire within our hearts. We have prayers in our hearts. He will fulfill your desire of those that fear him. He will hear their cry and he will save them. Wise man says in Ecclesiastes, it's good that thou should take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Of what? He'd been writing about crooked ways, the trap of prosperity, vanity, wickedness, and much more. We shall be drawn from those things. So let's cultivate these things in, in our thinking. I think also we should see how that a right fear of the Lord motivates us in our service, in our worship, and in our witness, particularly perhaps in the light of his return. We need to cultivate that right pursuit of God. Our mind went to the, the psalmist, and there are many verses you could go to, but does this sum up our attitude to the Lord in Psalm 42? As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. They're powerful words, aren't they? As the deer, as the heart longs for a drink because it's been chased perhaps by an enemy, longs for the water, the water brooks, so our souls long for God. He says, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. I wonder whether we ever get to that stage where we actually weep to know the presence of God. Sometimes we should weep because we don't know the presence of God. And then finally this morning, if you have yet to know your sin forgiven, then you may know and should know a right fear of the Lord, that he may point you to his love and mercy, the fear of judgment and hell, the fear of meeting the one who gave himself for sinners, should make us afraid, very afraid. And that fear can be dispelled in a moment. As we gaze into the face of Jesus Christ, we see then a perfect love that casteth out fear. He died upon that cross as we sung about in our first hymn, that we might know him, that we might know him. Well, may the Lord so help us that we might walk in the, the joy of the right fear of the Lord and that we might pursue him to know him more and more. Amen.